Uh, in case there are any people in our church who are not uh, good at nuance or subtlety, we decided to name this annual Sunday Get Connected Sunday. So the hope this Sunday is that you will get, get connected. connected. All right, get connected. Good, good. Um, that's really my hope. And um, at the end of the service, you might have grabbed one already on the way in. We have our, our biannual connection guides available, hot off the press. Our communication team put this together. They've been working on it for a long time. And just like the newspaper, as soon as you print it, it's out of date because it's so current. That's why we do it twice a year. So the next one is in January. But right now, this is accurate and current as of today. Um, so I want you to, to find all the ways you can get connected. My desire for you this morning is twofold. One, I want you to have a good reason why to go to church. Now, obviously, you come to church because you're here, and so I'm sort of preaching to the choir on that one, but people ask you why you go to church, or people wonder why you go to church, and I want you to have a good answer for that. So one, why did we go to church? And the second thing, my second hope for you is that you will move from going to church to being the church. And I'll explain that, that distinction here shortly. Our text is Hebrews uh, 10, 19 to 26. If you want to turn there in a Bible, I think that'd be helpful. I'm going to point out a couple of verses in here. Hebrews is an interesting letter or sermon. The scholars aren't quite sure if they want to call it a letter or a sermon. It doesn't have a typical greeting on the front end. It just launches in. Uh, but then there are some greetings on the tail end of it. We don't know who wrote it, but we're really pretty sure it was not the Apostle Paul. And if I could summarize Hebrews in one phrase, it's that Jesus is better. For the first ten and a half chapters, Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than the sacrifices of the old sacrificial system. All of that is laid out, and it comes to a real decisive point in chapter 10, verse 18, where it says, there is forgiveness for these, meaning for sins and lawless deeds, and there is no longer any offering for sin because Jesus was the once for all time offering. And the author here has set that up and said, things have changed with Christ. This offering has been made and there is a new covenant in place. And so the invitation is then to enter in to press in in a new way that in the old covenant people couldn't do. The people stood on the outside. God would descend as a pillar of cloud on the tabernacle or onto the temple. Only the high priest could go into his presence and only on the day of atonement, one day of the year, the people waited on the outside. But what we so desperately need is to go into his presence. And what Christ has done is he's opened that way. He's made that available for us. Then, the writer here lays out some imperatives, some commands. He says, therefore, do this, do that. And it was the verse 24 and 25 that made me think this Sunday, this, this text is where we need to go. Verse 24 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. The word for meet together in Greek is episynagoge meet together, you probably recognize the word synagogue in there. It's a religious assembly. It's a gathering of people who are pursuing God. And this writer is saying, don't neglect meeting together. This is important. It's the habit of some, though, to neglect it. 
Now, when I think about habits, I always think of active habits like smoking cigarettes or chewing your nails, like a nervous habit or something. I don't think of habits of omission, and yet there are tons of them, right? It's a habit of some. Some are in the habit, more than others in my household, of not putting their dishes in the dishwasher. That's a neglectful kind of habit. And so you can form and be forming a habit of not doing something. So the author is saying, Don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some. Now, I think most of us know how this can happen when it comes to worship, when it comes to Sunday morning. We can get into a habit of not coming by skipping one Sunday for something that's, you know, we're traveling maybe, and you get back home, and you've grown complacent a little bit, and it's kind of nice to sit at home and read the newspaper and, and drink your cup of coffee. And it's not so much intentional, but it's just a kind of a habit. You fall out of the habit of being here, and you form a habit of skipping. And I I know that our church is probably, on a typical Sunday, it's about 500 people are here. But I think on a monthly basis, it's more like 700 and individuals. And the habit of some is get to church once a month or twice a month. Now, again, I'm preaching to the choir for most of you because you're here almost every Sunday, and I think that's really good. But I think it's easy to fall into the habit of thinking of Sunday as something other than made for worship. It's an opportunity for us to press in, to enter into the presence of God, and it is so important. I know people, in fact, somebody told me this month, they said, well, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I do better worshiping kind of on my own, <clears throat> like on my fishing boat, and I, I immediately I'm like, hmm, <clears throat> and I wonder about that. I mean, or on the golf course, or in nature, and while I do not deny that you can worship God in those settings, I question how much worship is going on versus how much fishing is going on, right? And I think for some people, there's a reluctance to engage organized religion, because there's a misunderstanding of what its aim is, what its purpose is. I, and I believe that the church exists for discipleship, not the other way around, that God has a church so that discipleship can occur, and then discipleship is for the world. That's a direct quote from one of my heroes, Dallas Willard, and I think he's right about that. Discipleship was not invented for the church. The church was made for discipleship to form people for the world. And therefore, what we do when we gather is formative. It shapes us. It's important for us to be shaped. But there are so many people out there that want to be called spiritual, but not religious. Um, I was in seminary for two weeks at the first two weeks of August up in um, Boston at Gordon-Conwell, and I was taking some classes on preaching. So I'm in this degree. It's eight classes on preaching, and um, we'll see. Check with me in a couple years and see if it was worth the money, but um, (laughs) the class I took the first week was called Preaching Christ in a Multi-Faith World, and we had gone through um, many of the other faiths and looked at the elements of truth that are in those faiths and then how the gospel could reach in and meet the real need that's there. And on the Tuesday of that week, we spent six hours in lecture and our topic was, the, the note said SBNR. The professor had that on his slides. It was in the handouts. And I was like, what's SBNR? And I kept forgetting it. But he, he called it a religion, spiritual but not religious. You and I know people that would say of themselves, I'm spiritual but not religious. And one of the books we read was called The Myth of the Non-Christian. And he, and the author of that book makes this point, nobody wants to be called a non-something, right? You're a vegetarian, you're not a non-meat eater. Nobody wants to be a non-something. 
And so the non-Christian is a bad way to say it. So what people are happy to say of themselves, though, many, is I'm spiritual but not religious. S-B-N-R. And I went out after six hours of lecture, kind of stir-crazy, and Gordon-Conwell has this beautiful campus. It's, it's out on a large acreage, and it's got surrounding trees, and it's on rolling hills, and they've got these red brick apartment buildings for the students, and then all the buildings for class and for worship and stuff. And since I was there last year, they installed a Frisbee golf course. So you throw those rubber Frisbees, and you hit the chains, and it falls in the basket. But I didn't have any equipment. So I just start walking the course because it was beautiful out there. And I see another student there, a young guy, he's 25, he's got a beard, he's got a backpack, he's got some tattoos, of course, because he's 25. And I, and I go up to him and I go, hey, would you be merciful on a distant student and let me play a couple holes with you and use one of your Frisbees? And he said, sure. It turns out he's not a student there at all. In fact, he was somebody who found on the internet that they had put this golf course in there and had just come onto the campus and he didn't even know what the school was. He said, what is this place? And I said, I said, it's a seminary. It's a place where people train for ministry. And he said, he got quiet and he said, oh, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah. And then he told me what he was. Guess what he said? I'm spiritual. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not really into organized religion. I went, I was studying you today. I didn't say that, but... So, so I played some, some rounds of golf with them and shared the gospel with them. And it was really cool to talk about a living relationship with God as a spiritual person. And I am into religion, good, the good kind, the relationship kind of religion with the living God. I got credit the next day in class because you better believe I told them about that interaction. <laughs> but I thought it was so interesting on this secluded seminary campus, a spiritual but not religious person was there. And would you believe there was a second one on the second week that I, same exact exchange happened. So I start going up to everybody on the campus and say, hey, can I play with you? And I, I learned all these people are there that are not students, which was really interesting. But there are all these spiritual but not religious people out there. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to have some sense of transcendent meaning. They want this to be more than just about our physical life and then we die. But they don't want that transcendent being to be a person with a mind who then has opinions. They want a force out there that adds transcendence, but not a call to transformation. And as I was thinking through this, I thought about seekers. These kind of people are always seeking and never finding. And if you find, then you learn, right? So you grab the cat by the tail and you think, aha, I caught it only to find out that you grabbed onto a lion and he turns right around and his face is right in front of you. And it's terrifying until you realize he's smiling and his warm, good breath is breathing on you and he says, I love you. Let go of that old way and come walk my way. I mean, that's the good news. That's the invitation to this new life. But see, people want to be transcendent, but they don't want to change. They don't want to have to live a new life but we're seeking for something. And if your current life is so good, then why are you seeking for something else? Recognize the search within you is evidence that you were made for more, that you need more. So what is Sunday church about? The gathering here? It's, I think if I could put one word on it, and I'll check with Dr. Hart afterwards, I would put the word remembrance on it, that we come here to remember who we are and who God is. 
We remember who this lion is that we've grabbed a hold of and really that he was, he was baiting us all along with his tail and wooing us in and saying, come on, come on, come to me. I mean, the invitation was constantly there and we need to know, we need to remember. On the fishing boat, we don't. On the golf course, we don't. You can pray, you can get recognition of God's glory through his creation. Sure, that can inspire a desire for worship, but you don't hear the specific revelation that we have a God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and who loves us and is inviting us into a new way. And for those who are Christians, we have responded and we now are a new people, accepted. We are constituted as the people of God. We have a new identity as his sons and daughters. That's what worship is about. We need to come and remember who he is. And you just can't do it alone. It never works. You need the people of God for this to happen. Now, I'm going to give you a quiz, and I don't want you to look at your bulletin. What we do on Sunday morning to the end of connecting with God and remembering who we are has a specific age-tested pattern and flow. IWS calls it the fourfold movements of worship. Do you know what they are? So what happens is, and we, we've explicitly put this in the bulletin for the last year maybe, hoping that someone might notice it. See, that's subtle. That's subtle. That's not explicit. And what we do is we gather, and right away we gather and are constituted as God's people in his presence. And then we receive, we hear the word proclaimed to us, and then we respond by praying and coming to the table, and then we are sent. And we go out as the people of God, having been in his presence, We've entered in. That's the movement of worship. That's what we do on Sunday morning. And you can't do that on your own. It's just, it doesn't work. But, like I said, I want you to go from going to church to becoming the church. And you see, just coming on Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough. There's more that's needed that you need for discipleship to happen. Now remember, the mission that Jesus gave the church is called the Great Commission, which is go and make what? disciples. You know what a disciple is? The word literally means a learner, a student. I like the word apprentice because sometimes learning can just be about information whereas an apprentice actually learns head, heart, and hands. The trade, the heart behind it, as well as the information. Come alongside and become a student of Jesus. That's the invitation. If I was to ask you what the gospel is, what is the good news, what is the message that Jesus taught, he did not teach, say a prayer, for your sins to be forgiven, and when you die, you go to heaven. Although prayer is part of it, forgiveness is part of it, and heaven is part of it. But the thing that he proclaimed was the kingdom of God is available. His very first public message, what was it? The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And this author here in Hebrews says twice in this passage, to draw near. Once he says to draw near, once he says to enter in. In verse, what is it, 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. In 19, verse 19 of chapter 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What are these holy places that he's talking about? It's the presence of God, the Holy One. Enter into his very presence. Not just a building, the presence of God. Come near to him. Because of what Jesus has done, we sinful people can now enter into the presence of the holy God of all time, the almighty God. We are invited into that. The kingdom of God is now open and available for us in a way that it never was under the old covenant. It is here. It is breaking in, but we are still in enemy territory. 
The kingdom of God is wherever his rule and reign is recognized. So there's this invitation Jesus gives us. His gospel message is come into the kingdom, start living in the kingdom, and learn how to live in the kingdom. So, for example, Matthew 11, which is part of the comfortable words in the old liturgy, he says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me right? There's that word learn. Become my disciple. Come learn how to live the life I intended for you to have. So becoming a Christian means I'm going to become a student of Jesus's ways. I'm going to learn from him and with him how to live this life I was intended to live. So that's the first part of it. That's once you've made that move, you're no longer just going to church. You're now being the church. You're now a student and you are serious about taking into your life the ways of Jesus. Again, I've tried to be sort of clear and explicit when I put on our vision statement that we are making disciples who obey Jesus. I want to learn to live the ways that he taught us to live. Now, here's the amazing thing about the cross, though. If I'm learning his ways, thinking that my behavior determines my acceptance, I'm afraid. You know, it's, it's so fun to do another master's degree because I really do not care at all about my grade. I care only about the learning. The grade means nothing. I already have a master's of divinity, and now if I finish this degree, I'll have a master's of theology, but what does that mean? To me, it means I need to learn how to preach better. So I do things in this class that I wouldn't normally do. Maybe if they work, I'll inflict them on you, but so <laughs> the purpose is not to get the professor to give me an A. The purpose is to get better at preaching. That's why I'm doing it. So when it comes to discipleship, because we've already got this assurance and this boldness to enter into the presence of God, now we can go along and be his apprentices and admit that we're not doing it well, be open to learning new things, be constantly allowing him to transform us. We're not worried about the grade anymore. Now we're just doing it together with him. And we know who we are and we know who he is. So now here's, now here's the, the, the tougher part of this. And this is where maybe some of us get uncomfortable. I've asked a number of people, would you be willing to have somebody who's walked a little longer than you with the Lord disciple you? And people will say, yeah, that'd be great. And then I'll say, would you be willing to go walk alongside somebody else and disciple them? And they go, no. <laughs> so there's a general desire to be discipled and a general resistance to, to disciple people. And it's like we need to connect these two things together. The fear is, who am I to presume to teach another person? Well, don't think of yourself as a teacher. Think of yourself as a, a co-pilgrim. You're coming on a journey together, and you say, come with me, come walk with me as I walk with Christ. That's what discipleship is. So look down at verse 24 and 25 in chapter 10 of Hebrews. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. The NIV that I learned that passage in many years ago says spur on. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spurring on is not necessarily comfortable, right? What a spur is is a metal thing on a boot to kick a horse to get it to go, right? The word, the Greek word there is the same one that is used of the Apostle Paul's own spirit when he comes into Athens and he sees all the idols. It says that he was provoked within his spirit. Here, that same word exists. So let us consider how to provoke one another toward love and good deeds. Now that's a call to making other disciples. 
disciples who make disciples. Proverbs 27 uh, verse 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. The way that we grow is when we get together with other people who are growing and we help one another. The word, the phrase one another is in here twice. Let us consider how we might encourage one another and spur one another on. There's a one anotherness to discipleship that is so important. It is when you get alongside someone else and together you're pursuing the Christ life in the kingdom of God that transformation starts to happen. I wonder, do you have this in your life? Is there somebody or some group or some other folks that actually are considering how they can provoke you to do the kingdom kind of work that you really actually want to do? Maybe you don't think you want to do it, but when you think big picture, you're like, yeah, that's what I want to become. I want to become that kind of a Christian. But if someone would come alongside and and encourage you and provoke you and stir up a desire within you, what a gift that would be. Do you have somebody like that in your life? As a pastor, it's kind of hard to get that because people are intimidated because I have a degree and I wear special clothes and I'm always up here talking to you and teaching. So I have to sometimes step outside of that. So I have a coach that I talk to once a month and he says hard things. He says, what are you learning? What do I need to be praying for for you? Last month you said you were going to work on this. How did that go? Did you do it? It's always a little uncomfortable because it's stretching me and challenging me. But what a gift that is. As clergy, we do it to one another all the time. We're, we're constantly encouraging one another and also challenging one another. If somebody says they're doing something in their own spiritual life, like they're having prayer time with their wife every day, just hearing them say that makes me go, ooh, I haven't prayed with Heather in a couple of days. I'm, I feel convicted. And then so what do I do? So I go and pray. I, tr- I start experiencing transformation because of the accountability of the body of Christ. My desire is for you to come to church and know why and then be the church by making other disciples. Now, in your bulletin is this. This is our little strategy. See, it says in that, in that verse, it says, consider, let us consider how we might provoke one another to love and good deeds. The prevalent church leadership thinking is that churches that have a clear pathway of discipleship will grow. Churches that do not will not necessarily grow. Now, before I even talk you through this, I need to say, we are all about grace here and not law. This is not, you're not being graded on this. This is an invitation. If you want to come, live the, the life in the kingdom, this is a pathway to do it. And I'm, in, I'm hoping that people in this church will learn about worship, that they will worship God with his people in the church on the Lord's day. And then I'm hoping that that worship will spill out into every aspect of their life, into your home. And so you can think through, how do I intentionally worship God in my house? How is my house a Christian household? You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does it look like to bring him into your recreation? What does it look like to bring him into your workplace, into your neighborhood? That's, so worship. Belonging is the next piece. And we're, we scored really low on a parish health assessment on that category. It was the lowest of 10. Praise be to God, our highest was Christ-centeredness. Our lowest, though, was small groups and community connectedness. So Dan has shifted, I've shifted Dan's responsibilities, and he's, he's really good at this, and he has begun a pathway, or an on-ramp to the pathway, through Alpha, and then Rooted, and then Life Groups. And that is a way to help people learn how to be in these kind of groups where we disciple one another. I'm calling it a four-fold small group, or life group. And the four folds are care, 
This is the place where we care for one another, mutual care for the members of the group. If you think that the pastors can care for all your needs in a, group, in a church this size, it's impossible. It just doesn't work. And I will fail you every time. So will they. But if you're in a group where mutual care is happening, there's more than enough to go around. So care is the first thing we listed. And then, but we want it to be Christ-centered. So we want you in the word. And we want you to learn to pray and pray together and pray out loud. And pray with written prayers and pray extemporaneous. And then we want to make sure that these kind of groups are, remain outward focused so that we don't become ingrown and die, but we are constantly giving the faith away and inviting others in and welcoming people. And then the third square is serve. Serve the church. Don't just show up. Come and do something. Your worship will change dramatically if you bring something with you. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. Handing out bulletins, being an usher, the name tag table. There's a hundred different ways to serve. Serve the community. That this church would be salt and light to the Fleming Island and Jacksonville area, that we would be breaking outside of the walls. Our Mercy team put together that Mission of the Week idea a couple years ago. That was a brilliant idea because it fit with the fourfold and it helped us know ways that we can serve our immediate community. And then, of course, to the ends of the earth, serve the world. We are called to send and to go with the gospel to the ends of the world. Now, on this little pathway, I like to say there are three things and a fourth. Those are the three things that I hope every one of us will have in our lives. Worship, belonging, and service. But the fourth is intentionality to disciple others, to make other disciples. So that includes sharing your faith with other people. It includes walking others, walking with them along this pathway. So taking somebody into a service project or into a small group or into church with you or into some kind of a prayer thing in your house or whatever it might be. My biggest desire for our church is that more and more Christians would help other people walk with the Lord, that disciples would make other disciples. So this is the pathway, and you will hear more about it, and I want you to think about where in your life maybe you're missing part of that pathway. Maybe you're not in a small group right now or a small group that does those four things. Luckily, there is a connection guide available. (laughs) After the service, you can grab these, and they have every place that you can get plugged in. But for belonging, Alpha is the way in. Alpha starts September 10th, and from there it goes into Rooted, and from there it goes into Life Groups. I hope you'll really consider getting connected and um, that you'll hang around after and be part of this whole uh, festivity today. I'll tell you more about that a little bit later, but I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I thank you for the gift that this church is both to each one of us as well as to our surrounding community. I pray for your Holy Spirit to come now and strengthen us. I pray that you would stir within us a desire to walk in this kingdom way, to be your apprentices, to learn your ways, and to become more like Jesus. Would you help us to that end, for that's what you've called us to. I pray this in his name. Amen.